My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Thank you, everyone, for rolling with us today with uh, how we're doing the service. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to be preaching primarily out of the text from 1 Thessalonians, St. Paul's epistle there. And my title this morning is Sanctified and Blameless. And you'll notice if you've been listening over the past few weeks, this common theme of blamelessness and holiness. Last week we heard from the epistle uh, from St. Peter, and now we hear from Paul. And I think one of the controlling thoughts of this, this bit of text is in verse 23, where he says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. So we see here, right at the very end of that text, and we're going to go back to the beginning in a sec, that this is why he's been writing to them. That they would be kept blameless. That they would be sanctified completely. And that Jesus Christ will be faithful to accomplish that in them and through them. And this is one of the most dynamic themes that runs through the entirety of the season of Advent. uh, All the way through Nativity. Is this focus on our sanctification. And when we talk about sanctification. What we mean is to be made holy. To be made holy. And so when we look in the scriptures, we see in the Old Testament the way that something was sanctified or set apart was it was anointed or it was washed with water and set apart. This is how the the implements in their worship would have been used. You know, candlesticks or whatever. They would have been washed and set aside for worship. And that's kind of what's happening with us is that we have all been washed by God. In the waters of our baptism. It's set aside for the good of the kingdom of God. Our sanctification. And so there's a focus on this. So that when the Lord returns we are ready. Because what we're doing here this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas is. Apart from the resurrection and the ascension, the most important event in the entirety of human history is what we're leading up to right now. Right? We look at beautiful pictures of, like I have one at home, and I'm sure many of you do too. We look at the pictures of the nativity, and we see the Holy Family, Joseph and Mary, and the Christ child, and the creche, and you know, the, everybody who's there, right? The shepherds, and, and the, the wise men, and everyone's kind of looking in. Maybe you have like a star on there, and it's, oh, it's cute. It's nice. And we have our Hallmark movies that are always on, or I don't know what the competitor is now. I know that there's several. I think even Netflix is putting out Christmas movies now. Uh, you know, the guy goes to the hometown, or the girl goes to the hometown town and then they meet the person that they knew back in the day and they hated each other but now they love one another right and we think oh what a cute wonderful time of year this time of wonderfulness and goodness and and niceness but the season of advent is leading us to the nativity the most important event in the entirety of human history where our lord and savior jesus christ god the word uniting divine nature with human nature the entrance of god into humanity in human flesh 
God becoming flesh and blood to reverse the curse of sin and of death. And so to receive that, we need to be prepared. And the children of Israel need to be prepared. We see this in the scriptures. And when Christ does come, they are unable to see him or recognize him. And they are not prepared to see, them, to, to, to see him. And so the verses that we just heard read, starting in, in verse 12, lay out how St. Paul wants them to be sanctified. He doesn't just say, this is what I want you to be, but he also lays out for them, this is the pathway. This is how we do it. And he lays out a lot of stuff for them to do, right? If you were just to read this text in isolation, you would think, wow, he's really asking them to do a lot of stuff. He's asking them to do things. And that's kind of the challenge, right? Is Faith isn't just a mental thing. Faith is a, a, an action. It's something that we do. And he lays out a whole bunch of stuff for them to do here at the end of the letter. And it's almost like, oh, don't forget this. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Oh, I forgot that. That's really important. We have to have all of these in mind. And the first thing he starts with is he says to esteem you know, the leadership of the church. Respect those who labor among you in the Lord who, 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 honor, who, who serve you. And then he says... Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. I don't care what church you go to. I don't know if you're visiting, if you go to another church or whatever. Wherever you go to church, this is something that every single church needs to hear and do. Be at peace among yourselves. Keep the infighting to a minimum. And the great thing about scripture is, is we don't get a sanitized vision of like humanity, right? We see people in their flaws. We see people in their weaknesses. St. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he's like, I can't believe I have to write to you again. He, he, he writes to the church at Galatia and he's like, you guys are doing this thing that I told you not to do over and over again. I'm really, really annoyed with you. I'm so angry. I'm going to pick up the pen and I'm writing this part of the letter with my own hands. We get... We, the beautiful thing of scripture is we see people struggling and we see their successes and their failures and how God calls them higher and calls them deeper. And he's like, keep the infighting to a minimum. Be at peace among yourselves. And then because he knows that not everyone's on the same playing field or in the same spiritual level of maturity or even emotional maturity, he lays out the responsibility that they have to one another. So if you look at all the people around you, right? This is, these are the people you have responsibility to here in this church, one another. He says this. He says, we urge you, admonish the idol. Ooh. Maybe in their vocations, but also at the church. The idol, those who are lazy, those who are do, do not work, right? Admonish them. Come on, let's go. And he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Maybe they're afraid. Back in those days, being a Christian carried with it some very severe social stigmas. Maybe they need encouragement. Don't be afraid. It, or it could be that, that they need encouragement because like Jesus talks about on the sower, right? The, the parable of the sower, sowing the word. He talks about how the word can take root, but the things that can, can destroy it, that can, that can rise up and choke it. So maybe they need to hear a word of encouragement so the word does not get choked out or stolen from their hearts. 
He says to strengthen the weak. People who are weak need to be strengthened. People who are weak in faith, people who are weak in spirit, they need people to come alongside them and work for them and help them. Particularly people who are suffering, who have experienced loss. They need friends and families and loved ones to take them by the hand and say, I got this, I can help you. What do you need? There are times when we are doubting, when we're weak in faith. I don't know what I believe. I don't know about any of this stuff. What do I do? They need spiritually mature people who can walk alongside them and help them and help strengthen them. And then he talks about patience. He talks about patience. Be patient with them all. This is very important because I don't know if you know this, and you probably do. It's really easy to get annoyed with one another. I've probably annoyed many of you over the years. And I'm sure you've annoyed me too. It's easy to get annoyed with one another sometimes. But that's what deep relationships always run the risk of doing, is the risk of annoyance. That's why we need to be patient with one another, because we're all going to make mistakes. And the reason why we need patience is, is because it, it, it helps mitigate the risk, right? Because when relationships get strained and we lose patience, we can say and do things that cut or wound one another when we give in to impatience. I don't know about you, but there are times when I've lost my temper with my kids. Shocker, right? Shocker. Those of you who have kids, I'm sure you're much more holier than I am, but I, you know, sometimes I get impatient with my kids. Listen the first time. Listen the first time. Listen the first time. And I've already told them 40 times. Like, why don't you just listen the first time? Ah, daddy. Right? Patience is necessary, especially when we, we're dealing with one another. Right? Because Christianity is relational. Okay? Christianity is a, is a communal religion. It's not a private, individualized affair. That's one of the great tragedies, right, of, of, of American Christianity in many expressions is that something that has always been communal and about, about building one, each other up in, in, as a family, right, as the body of Christ has become this very private, individualistic, I keep my faith to myself, I don't talk about it, I don't let anybody else in on it. It's just my own personal thing. Well, you can, you can live like that, but you'll never be part of a family like that. And then he says, don't let people repay evil for evil. Why? Well, because it keeps this cycle of retribution and sin. It breaks that instead of perpetuating sinful behavior over and over and over again. Don't let people repay evil for evil. As the scriptures say, overcome evil with good. We are to seek the good of one another. And then he says something here, and I'm just going to read it. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Right? So rejoice always? Really? Seriously? You know, I've had a really bad day today. God, I'm supposed to rejoice in the middle of all this? Life is hard. 
and I'm supposed to rejoice in this? Yes. Rejoice. Now rejoicing, and I've talked about this in the past, so I won't stick, I won't stay on this for too long. Rejoicing isn't pretending to be happy, okay? The scriptures aren't telling you, when you feel sad, just pretend to be happy so you'll feel better. That's not what's going on here. Rejoicing in the Lord means that no matter our circumstances, whether we're suffering, whether things are bad, whether things are okay, whether things are good, that because of Christ, we know whose we are, we know who we belong to, we know what awaits us. So in light of all of life's difficulties, we can have security in knowing what God has in store for us. That no matter how bad things may get for us or how good things get for us, that God always loves us and has a future and a hope for us beyond all comprehension. Then he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I'll never forget this. One day, I was, I was really having a, a, like a spiritual crisis, right? And, and I called my dad and I was like, Dad, I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, um, I want you to like pray all night. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, just pray all night. And I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. So I did the thing. I started praying. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I was like, okay, I, I must have been going for a really long time. And I opened my eyes and I looked at my watch. And it was like 15 minutes. And I was like, this is going to take forever. <laughs> pray without ceasing? How do we even do that? So I tried again. And I'm like, all right, that feels like a good amount of time is gone. I feel like I've really prayed. I looked outside. There's still light coming through the window. And I looked at my watch. It's been five more minutes. Have you ever had that experience? They're praying, you're like, yeah, I'm really going to get deep into prayer. And then you're like, oh, I guess I, I, I didn't. Praying without ceasing, he does, I don't think he's saying, right, just keep praying and praying and praying and praying all the time. Now, there's ways that the Christian tradition has actually approached this, right? There are, there are uh, this is really more for people who are like monastics, like people who live in a monastery, is this idea of learning to pray without ceasing. Whether it's, it's um, some, some people in the, in the Orthodox Church, they use the Jesus Prayer. In the Roman Catholic Church, you, know, you have the Rosary and other forms of contemplative prayer. Pentecostals uh, have a, a, a practice that they call speaking in tongues. There's all different ways that the Christian tradition has understood this. I think what Paul is saying here when he says pray without ceasing is don't ever stop being in an attitude of prayer. I don't think he's saying like when you're walking down the street, when you're walking in Aldi's and you're like trying to find, you know, the, the goldfish without the little Mickey Mouse heads because your children for some reason won't eat the ones with the Mickey Mouse heads, but they'll eat the ones with the fish. He's not saying like pray while you're doing that, right? You can if you want to, and that's a good thing. But what I think he's saying is that attitude of prayer, that desire to pray, taking the time to enter into that prayer is something that you need to be always aware of in doing. And we do this at home, and we do this in worship in church. And also, brothers and sisters, one of the ways we rejoice in the Lord always is also expressed through worship at church. Then he says, give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all things. I wish he gave us easy things to do because this is hard. This is hard. Thank you, Gracelyn. I'll take that as an amen. This is hard. Give thanks in all things. Right, one of my favorite church uh, figures, St. John Chrysostom, he was a bishop of Constantinople, one of the best preachers the church has ever produced. Sermons are in commentaries all over the place. You can read his stuff. Was unjustly accused of everything you could think of. Was exiled from his city. 
was called back, exiled again, gets sick while he's trying to petition his case, finds a place like a church side of the road, and dies. And, and he's being persecuted, people talk, telling lies about him, they have tried to destroy him, and at the end of his life, as he lays dying, he gives thanks. And he says, glory to God for all things. Because, St. Paul says, this is the will of God for you. And the will of God for you is, as I started my sermon with this morning, is our sanctification. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will that we be sanctified. It is God's will that we would be kept blameless. What we do matters. How we live our lives matters and affects our spiritual lives. Then he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Right? So, do not resist or do not quench the spirit. Right? The spirit is constantly moving as we worship and as we work, leading us and guiding us. Do not despise prophecies. Now, prophecy isn't me getting up here predicting and, and, and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. That's not biblical prophecy, right? Prophecy is not foretelling the future. Prophecy, particularly in the New Testament, it's, it's the proclamation of the gospel. It's what I'm doing right now. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is how we respond. And this is how we live in that as we await his return. That's prophecy. It's a proclamation of Christ and teaching the scriptures. Calling people back to this is our God. Let us worship him in spirit and in truth. Because that's what the Old Testament prophets did. They're always calling people back to worship the true, of the true God. And that's how New Testament, that's, so when Paul talks about prophecy, don't think he's got this weird thing in mind, right? Where and in 20 minutes, uh, uh, a truck is going to crash out over there and it's going to spill Jersey Mike subs out all over the place. That's, that's not what that is. And then he says this, he says, test everything. Test everything. Make sure what is being taught is legit. This takes spiritual maturity. Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of people in a lot of pulpits preaching a lot of garbage. And if you hear that garbage and you internalize that garbage, that garbage will live in and out and through you. That is why we test everything. If I or anybody ever stand in this pulpit and proclaims to you something antithetical to the scriptures, that if I, I or anybody else get up here and say, Jesus is not the Son of God, he didn't really resurrect from the dead, he only kind of rose in their hearts, stuff like that. If I ever or anybody ever steps up here and says that, then I want all the elders to get up, come to the front, shake us by the hand and say, thank you very much, there's the door. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to what is good because we cling, we hold fast to what is good because that's what is life-saving. That's what refreshes our souls. What is good, what God has done for us. Then he says, abstain from every evil. In other words, all of the sin, the evil that Christ has delivered you from, don't get dragged back into it. 
And that's kind of the story of the entirety of the scriptures, right? Of the people of God. God delivers them and they keep trying to go back to what he has saved them from. Abstain from every evil. Don't do the things you used to that marked you out as a sinner, as an enemy of God. Abstain from evil. Because all of this, brothers and sisters, all of these instructions that he gives them is working towards their preparation. It's their sanctification. It is this ongoing process of being made holy. Because God has made and has kept and will continue to keep his promises. That he will keep us and he will preserve us. And again, getting back to the seam of Advent, so that when the Lord returns, we will be ready. Both for the celebration of his nativity, but also in anticipation of his return. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion Stone Church. I'm Reverend Mike Lanthman, and I'd like to extend to you an invitation, if you're ever in our area, to please worship with us Sunday mornings at 1015. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or would like some information about the church, or just have some questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or via email. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.